Magavonen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek. And in this video, I wanted to expand on an idea that the Tolkien professor, Corey Olson, talks about in both his Exploring the Hobbit podcast and the book that he wrote, Exploring the J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. And it has to do with Bilbo and Gollum's ring contest, because he has a really fascinating analysis of how their respective riddles goes into kind of their worldviews a little bit. And I wanted to expand on that and show how it might actually connect to something a little bit bigger and not only just in the story itself, but also within Tolkien's own worldview. So let's take a look. So first off, let me just give kind of a brief introduction to Corey Olson's, you know, whole analysis of this. If you want the full thing, his podcast version is, you know, you can find it for free. Uh, the Exploring the Hobbit is, you can find it on Apple Podcasts for sure and probably any other major podcast platform. But the brief version of it is, if you look at their respective riddles, Bilbo's very neatly fit within the idea of comfort, home, light, you know, this sort of thing. Bilbo's riddles center around, you know, very normal homey things like he's got you know the 30 white horses on a red hill first they champ then they stamp then they stand still it's about teeth because he's hungry and he wants to eat you know pretty simple there he's got a box without hinges key or lid yet golden treasure inside his head an egg he of course is thinking about food probably but Olson points out that there's also a sense in which the treasure is life there's a growing life in the egg and then he's got the um, the one where no legs lay on three legs, two legs sat nearby, four legs got some, or something along those lines. I may be miss missing up the number of legs somewhere. No, two legs sat nearby on, no legs lay on one leg, two legs sat nearby on three legs, four legs got some. It's a man eating a fish, sharing with the cat. All of these have kind of homey ideas behind them. Golems are a lot more, at least, near sinister in nature. Of course, he starts off with one just about the mountain, which is fairly simple. You know, up, 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 you know, up, up, it goes and yet never grows. Um, those kinds of things about the mountain. There's nothing very sinister there, but he gets more and more creepy as he goes along. He has a riddle about the dark, how it lies behind the stars and under hills and fills empty holes. You know, comes first and follows after. It kills life and ends laughter. It's really, you know, he's using the dark in a very sinister sense. It's not merely the dark, it's the bad edge of the dark. He's got the riddle about time that he really kind of ends with, which, you know, basically says it destroys everything in the end. That's more or less the, the thrust of the riddle. And so he's pointing out, Olsen is, that the, the riddles are kind of giving their respective worldviews. Bilbo, you can't really derive, as he says, a specific theology out of his riddles, but they do seem to have something behind them of the idea that uh, especially with the sun on the daisies riddle, you know, uh, the eye in the two eyes, there's an eye and a yellow face, an eye and a blue face, an eye and a green face, and the daisy is the day's eye. That's kind of the idea, and he says that this one kind of links the idea that the mundane is part of a grander narrative, and this is the response 
you know, the response to that riddle is Gollum's dark riddle, kind of, you know, thematically at least. But the idea there is that, you know, the sun is a very high and, and even mythic thing compared to the daisy, and yet it's all kind of connected. Gollum seems much more just about, you know, the dark is all there is and all there will be, and time just destroys everything, and then there's nothing. So you've got almost a nihilistic kind of worldview by the end of Gollum's riddles, whereas Bilbo's are not, and it's really interesting how he analyzes these things. But I think we can take a little bit more out of it than this, and my jumping point for that is where Olsen kind of ends his analysis, which is after Gollum gives his time riddle and Bilbo just kind of barely saves himself from that by getting lucky and saying time, time, when he really means give me more time, he doesn't have another riddle to follow up with. And, you know, Gollum, in a sense, really wins the riddle game, and it's only by luck that Bilbo gets away. And as I was thinking about that, I realized there's a little more, I think, that we can add to this discussion. So the interesting thing about this is when Bilbo wins by luck... He's not just winning by luck. One of the things that Gandalf is going to tell Bilbo near the end of the story is that surely you don't believe that all your escapes and successes were managed by mere luck for your sole benefit. You're just a small person in a wide world, after all. And he's hinting there at the idea of providence. So when Bilbo wins the riddle game by luck, it's probably not luck. And that's really interesting, too, and you have to keep in mind, when, when the Riddle game was originally written, Tolkien had no idea of what was going to happen with the ring and in the Lord of the Rings and all that. It was not the ring of power. It was just a magic ring. And so it was not important. But it, of course, becomes way more important. But even within its own context, there is certainly an element of you know, the providential nature of Bilbo's successes and how... All of that plays into the major events. Bilbo himself is lucky, but Gandalf is hinting that there's more to it than just luck. And so I think if we look at this, the fact that Bilbo wins the game by luck is actually kind of a key to where Tolkien might have been going in his own mind when writing this. Maybe not explicitly, but it certainly matches what would have been his worldview. Tolkien, of course, was a Catholic. And a very traditional Christian idea is this notion that, you know, men cannot save themselves. It requires God's intervention for them to save themselves. And so when Bilbo wins this game by luck, it's a reflection of that same idea. Bilbo can't win the riddle game on his own. And you can actually kind of see that in the progress of the riddle game itself. He does give Gollum a couple of nasty posers but Gollum always manages to come back, and Bilbo is usually the one who's on the back foot, who's really struggling. He has to, you know, he's trying to find ways to make Gollum waste time so he can think about other riddles, and he, you know, at the end, of course, he can't come up with one, and he just, musing, just says out loud, what have I got in my pocket? Not meaning it as a riddle. But it's really interesting because Gollum's riddles, if you look at them, not only do they give Bilbo a harder time, and not only are they kind of sinister in nature by the end, they're also just more impressive as riddles. Bilbo's riddles, some of them are neat, but most of them are not very grandiose. They're not especially good, even as poetry, whereas Gollum's are much, seem much more 
developed and thought out and just impressive on any any level you choose to analyze them. So Bilbo is fighting an uphill battle this entire time, and when he wins, it's not on his own merits. It's very distinctly not on his own merits. You know, no matter how you look at it, even Bilbo himself realizes, you know, that when Gollum calls him a cheater, he's like, wait, I wasn't even meaning that as a riddle, but I'm going to stick with it because it's all I got. So, interestingly enough, it's this apparent lucky thing that he does that Gollum thinks he means as a serious riddle that gets him out of the riddle game. And Gollum, you know, ends up accepting it for reasons unknown because he really could have just stuck to his guns and said, no, that's not fair. And it's only by doing that that Bilbo wins. It's not his own merits, it's luck, which in the context of The Hobbit is almost certainly providence. And what really is interesting about this is it also mirrors the idea that is also pretty common in the Christian context of a spiritual warfare. There's, you know, in the New Testament especially, there's this idea that, you know, Christians are more battling it out on a spiritual plane, not a physical one, and therefore everything they do is really all about spiritual power, not about worldly power. And that, you know, really fits in, too, because the idea that God is the reason you have an ultimate hope of victory makes sense within that context. Now, the reason this really works, I think, is because when you do examine the way the riddles go, Bilbo's really do seem kind of feeble and weak in a lot of ways, whereas Gollum's are very grandiose and powerful and, you know, almost overbearing in their just... The, the level of depression you could enter just contemplating the real meaning of some of Gollum's riddles is pretty astonishing, really. The idea that time is just going to lay waste to everything and that darkness envelops all. And, you know, it's a very dismal view, whereas Bilbo, even though he kind of puts up a counter-argument to that in a sense, is not doing a spectacular job. But another way that this fits within the Christian framework is that one of the things that is common in a, in a Christian worldview is that God works through the weakness of the people he chooses. God tends to choose those who are humble, meek, weak, not well-spoken, you know, all of these things. He doesn't tend to choose people who are great in themselves. He uses those who are lower and brings them up and uses them for his ends. And so Bilbo, feeble though his attempts are at, you know, giving a counterpoint to Gollum's own riddles, you know, the, the providence of the day saves him and uses his weak, you know, responses and gets him out of the pickle he's in. And so it's a really interesting parallel to, you know, one way of you know, one aspect of the way that Christians think about their role in the world as opposed to, you know, most other religions or worldviews because very few worldviews look at, you know, life as being one of, you know, we should be meek and humble and accept God's plan for us. Most of them are much more active, self-centered and whatnot. And it's one of the things that makes Christianity kind of unique. It's not totally unique, obviously, but it's amid the pagan milieu that, you know, most of the New Testament was written in, it was pretty much entirely unique other than Judaism. 
So the idea that Bilbo is basically a tool of providence here being used in his small way to defeat this really nasty, downright evil worldview that Gollum is intentionally or not propounding through his riddles is actually a very interesting fit within that Christian framework. Even within the story itself, which has, of course, no allusions to any kind of religion at all, the riddle game also plays its own part in bringing Bilbo, you know, further along in his journey. The, the narrator even remarks earlier on that finding the ring is a turning point in his career, and it's really after this that Bilbo begins to start to show signs of something more like an active role where he's really moving up in the world in terms of being a useful member of the company. His only real prior adventure is the Trolls, where he rather disastrously attempted to pick one of their pockets and got caught as a result. Here, you know, he has to find his way on his own, do everything on his own, and as far as he knows, he's just going to be hopelessly lost in these tunnels forever. And when he finally gets out, he starts to wonder, should I go back and find Gandalf and the other dwarves? Like, you know, and he's about to, he's about to make that decision and, and turn back when he finally finds them and realizes, oh, phew, I don't have to do that after all. But he was seriously contemplating it, which is a far cry from, you know, the idea that we get of Bilbo from the first few chapters where, you know, just the thought of having to face a dragon sends him into a complete tizzy. So, you know, even cutting out the, the overall Christian element of what Tolkien might have had in mind in his own worldview, within the context of the story, the riddle game serves to bring Bilbo from at least the, the riddle game and also the greater context of finding his way out of the Goblin Tunnels, culminating also in his decision to spare Gollum when he has the chance to kill him, all of which will take on greater significance in The Lord of the Rings, of course, but for now we're just focusing on The Hobbit. All of that brings Bilbo a little bit higher. He was just some, you know, guy in the, the Shire before this who had really no skills, no anything that would be considered useful as for this quest other than the typical Hobbit-like ability to be quiet and sneaky because that's just how Hobbits are. Bilbo, however, by the end of this, has managed to show himself that he has more ability than he necessarily realizes. He's got a sword from Gondolin, and that makes him, you know, feel a little bit grander, and he, you know, he successfully wards off Gollum, even though it's partially due to luck, and he escapes the tunnels, barely, and then even considers turning around and going back into them to find the rest of his companions. He is growing as a person, and it's the riddle game is a huge part of that. And this, you know, having to actually contend with something directly that's really evil. You know, I mean, he had to face trolls before, but it wasn't a direct conflict. He was captured by goblins, but he was helpless, and it was only because Gandalf intervened that they all were freed. Here, Bilbo is on his own, and he's actually facing down somebody that actively wants to murder him and eat him for dinner and he has to do that on his own and he does it you know even though it's not like i said entirely on his own merits but he does what he can and it's that's another thing too just in general 
you know, from not even necessarily a Christian worldview, but just a personal development, you know, aspect, the way you grow is by getting to your limit and pushing and pushing and pushing. And here Bilbo is really having to push. He doesn't want to, but he has to anyway. And so he does. And as a result, he grows as a person and becomes a more useful member of, you know, the quest. And he will continue to grow over the course of the story. But the riddle game is really where he first takes those major steps to doing it. So the riddle game, you know, the Corey Olson's an analysis of it is really fascinating. And I think all of this kind of goes into this bigger conversation about why the riddle game is central. It's almost the central thing in The Hobbit because it's, in fact, it's just one of the most enjoyable chapters for that matter, but it's, it's so central to his growth it's central to some of the themes that Tolkien has in a lot of his writings. It's just, there's just so much to it. It's a really rich topic. So I'm going to leave my analysis there because I think I've done all I can do, you know, and I've kind of exhausted my ideas on this subject. But if any of you out there have any further contributions along these same lines, it'd be interesting to see if we can, you know, take this idea even further. So that's my video on analyzing the riddle game between Bilbo and Gollum as a really profound moment, not only in Bilbo's career, but also in terms of the greater meaning that it has even possibly beyond the story. So if you enjoyed that, please do give it a thumbs up and share it around. You can follow me on Twitter at JRRTLore for some occasional Tolkien-related trivia questions. I'm also on Rumble and Odyssey, some YouTube alternatives, and I am now posting audio versions of my videos on anchor.fm and that distributes it across all kinds of podcast platforms so you can now find podcast versions of this if you want to listen without having to destroy your data watching a youtube video